we, we've been talking, I started two weeks ago, I started a series, The Eleventh Hour. And we're talking about uh, answering the question, are we living in the end times? And, and, and again, I want to reiterate why this is important that we understand and, and pay attention to end time events. How many's ever been distracted before? Right. You know, it doesn't help with all of the devices. I mean, you have a watch uh, that goes off to tell you that you got something on your phone. I mean, I mean, it just, it just we, we live in a, a very distracting world. Every, everywhere around us, there's something uh, clamoring for our time and our attention. And what happens in the church is we get caught up in the business life of church. And, and I don't mean that in a very bad way. I'm just simply saying we just get caught up. We've got ministries to run. We've got outreaches to do and, and, and all of these things. And if we're not careful, we can get so caught up with the peripheral things that we forget the focus on the main thing. And the hope and the joy of the church is the return of Christ. That is, that is the hope that Paul writes to, uh, to Titus and says it is our blessed hope. It is the expectation of Jesus Christ coming. And so the last two weeks, I preached on the rapture of the church. Now, as I said, there, there, there are a few beliefs when it comes to the rapture. I believe I'm a pre-trib believer. What that means is I believe that before the tribulation uh, ensues upon earth or unleashed on earth, that's a better word, that the church and the born-again believers that are alive will be raptured up, caught up, and will go to heaven. Uh, and, and so last week, we, we looked at the last two weeks, we've unpacked the rapture of the church. This morning, uh, because of some questions that came in this week, I want to talk about the Bema of Christ, the Bema of Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9, Paul writing to Corinthian church says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Amen. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well-known to God, and also I also trust are well-known in your conscience." May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, as we jump right in this morning, again, one of the reasons that it's important that we understand eschatology, and that is the theological study of the end times, one of the reasons it's important that we understand this is to help us focus on what is important. Again, there's so many peripheral things going on that if we're not careful, we get distracted. Uh, I mean, no, we live in a world right now, and Paul says in, 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 to Timothy, he said, know this also that in the last days perilous times will come. And then he goes through and he gives a list to describe the end times. Now, if you go read that list, how many would understand? We, I mean, it's like reading tomorrow's newspaper. I mean, we're seeing all of these things unfold right before our eyes. And that's what Paul said would be characteristic of the last days. So, so again, we can surmise from that that we are living in last days. Well, now what does that do? Well, if you're like me, it's kind of depressing in one sense. You know, as a, as a veteran and as a patriot, uh, I believe in the freedoms that we enjoy. Uh, I, I'm troubled by some of the things that I see, have been for a number of years. And if I'm not careful, I can get so caught up in what's going on. Listen, I believe we ought to be active. I, we got to vote, the midterm votes coming up in November. Listen, every believer ought to be voting biblical values. Biblical values. 
You know, we get so caught up in the party politics, we should be voting biblical values. I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon. But, but I'm not saying don't get involved in what's going on in contemporary society, but I'm saying don't be distracted by it. Because we have to understand this world's not our home. The Bible says of Abraham that he was, a, he was a pilgrim passing through. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. That's our assignment. We are to continue looking and longing for and hoping for the return of Jesus. Remember, Jesus stood up one day and he said, Look, don't let your heart be troubled by what you... This is my, my amplification of that. Don't let your heart be troubled by all this nonsense you see. You believe in God? Believe in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But here's a promise. He said, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go to do that, then what did he say? I'll come back. And I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So, again, it's important. Now, now last week I talked about some of the signs of the time. And, and I mentioned that after the rapture, while the tribulation, so here's what happens. The rapture takes place. Paul describes to the Thessalonian church, uh, the trumpets will sound, the dead in Christ rise. We who are alive and remain shall be called up together in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. After the rapture, then there is tribulation that is unleashed on the earth here. The believers, so, so what happens during that seven-year period? When the church is taken out, the tribulation, and we'll talk about that next week, what happens during that seven years that the earth is experiencing the tribulation or the great tribulation? Well, I'll tell you what happens is we're at the bema of Christ. You say, what's the bema? It's the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we are. Now, I had a couple questions come in this week regarding the bema of Christ. Now, I wasn't going to preach on the bema. I did that a few years ago, but I felt that I wanted... Listen, part of the process of, of preaching and teaching is to communicate and, and, and pass knowledge and I don't want anyone to be confused. So, so this morning, I want to look at it. it. It preaches, it fits well with the series. So let's talk about the Bema. Here's something interesting I want you to think about. Every one of us here and everyone tuned in this morning, we are one heartbeat away. Think about this. We are one heartbeat away, one breath away from our fixed state in eternity. You ever thought about that? We are one heartbeat, one breath away from our fixed state in eternity, whether that be joy or shame. What I mean by that is when I draw my last breath, I cannot change anything about the life that I lived. It is done. I am settled in that, whatever it is, good or bad. Now, now in my almost 30 years of pastoring here, I've officiated many and been involved in many, many funerals. Not one of the things I enjoy I, although I like to celebrate people going home to be with Jesus. And I can tell you that it is a rare occasion to go to a ser to service and not find either a relative, uh, uh, like, a, like a, an immediate family member or extended family member or friends that don't have regrets for things unsaid and undone. Everybody know what I'm talking about? The, the, in this life, it's so easy to get caught up in the angst of living. We don't like your opinions, so we allow our opinions to divide each other. We allow our politics to divide each other. We allow our sports to divide each other, and on and on it goes. And, 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 and I just want to tell you that, think about how many people go to a, a funeral with something unsaid, a forgiveness that they didn't ask for, or amends that they did not make, things like that. It is a real thing. And what I'm trying to point you out to, to understand is that when I draw my last breath, that's it. 
I, have, I no longer have a chance to go and, and, and bridge the gap. I no longer have an opportunity to go and mend a broken heart or to ask for forgiveness for something that I did or said or didn't do or whatever. Again, when I'm, when I'm gone, that's it. Preparation for eternity, listen church, has to be done now. Amos the prophet said, prepare to meet your Lord. In our text, Paul is thinking about, uh, he's thinking about judgment and he recognizes that every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will receive for what we have done, whether good or bad. Now, the interesting thing about the Apostle Paul, and I preach much out of Paul, of course, he's written half the New Testament, but uh, some, one of the interesting things about Paul is that he oftentimes ref- compared the Christian life to a race to a race. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he simply says, run in such a way to win the prize. I, I, I said this in early service. I, I, I don't know how many people in, uh, go comp- into a competitive track and field event and they don't run to win. I mean, it's kind of futile to, jump, to enter into a race with no intent to win, right? I mean, if you're going to compete, you actually want to win. And that's what Paul is saying to us as believers. He said, run in such a way as to win the prize. And again, he uses the imagery uh, of the Olympic Games, and he compares, he compares competitors. He talks about how competitors compete for a prize, rewards that are given. And the Olympic Games, the awards are given out at the BEMA, okay, at the, at the BEMA, uh, and, or the judgment seat, and it is presided over by a president of the Games, and they receive rewards. It's going to be wreaths, crowns, trophies, or they get nothing at all. But that's the Bema. Paul uses this to motivate us, and he says, run the race in such a way to win the prize. Now, I like that when I start thinking about it. How many like prizes? Yeah, three of you do. Man, I love prizes. I love prizes. If God uses the promises of prizes to motivate us, listen to me, you can be sure that he will make it worth the effort to run to win. He will make it worth the effort. Just as the prizes of the Olympic Games were given out at the Bema, so also are the prizes given to Christians who go to heaven at the Bema of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ. Now, here's the thing. One of the questions that came to me, please understand, this judgment that I'm talking about today has nothing to do with your salvation. This is not a judgment unto salvation. If you're at the Bema of Christ, you're saved. You've gone to heaven. I just want to make that clear. This, this is a judgment of the work that we did as a believer. D- do you understand that? How many heard me say before that you were born on purpose with purpose? Yeah. I've been saying that as long as I can remember. Because Ephesians 2, chapter, 10, uh, cha- chapter 2, verse 10, says that God created us with an assignment in mind. In other words, I was born on purpose with purpose. Ephesians 10, uh, 2, 10, I don't know why I say 10, chapter 2, verse 10 says that before I was born, God created a pur- me for a purpose. So, so this is not a judgment for my salvation. It is a judgment for the work that I did in my assignment. Again, Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So let's look at a couple things uh, about the beam of Christ. Number one, let's talk about the setting. The setting of the Bema. When and where does this take place? Well, like I mentioned last week, after the rapture of the church, 
There is a time of great tribulation that will break out here on the earth. In fact, the Bible describes that seven-year period as a time unlike anything that they had ever, the earth has ever seen before. Now, one of the signs last week I mentioned that Jesus said in Matthew 24 is that one of the signs of the end would be signs of nature. And in part of the signs of nature, you would have storms and earthquakes and, and just all kinds, wildfires and pestilences and all, all kinds of things. Those, today, man wants to excuse that. And I, I mentioned this last week. Some, today, we want to say things like, well, that's a product of climate change, baloney. Man cannot destroy what God created. I'm sorry. That's a bunch of hooey. This is a sign of the end times. When you see the storms and the earthquakes and the tornadoes and all of these things, that's what's going on. It is a sign of the time. And, and you think about the devastation. I'm not mocking it. I, listen, I work in disaster relief. I understand the devastation. I've stood with people who had their houses level. I remember in May of, of uh, 2013, a storm not, not long after, I believe it was right after the one that hit Cleburne, there was one that hit Granbury. And I, I mustered our team. We went down to Granbury, and in and, and the, and the, and the tornado sat down in one section of Granbury, wiped that thing out, picked up, and disappeared. And I remember driving through there in my initial assessments with our, with our team, and, and a lot of the homes that were there were mobile homes, and there was some um, homes that were built by Habitat for Humanity. But I remember passing one mobile home in particular, and the only thing left of that mobile home was the was the the water heater closet. And the lady's life was saved because she was in that closet. I've seen the devastation of, of Mother Nature. But the Bible says that in the last days, in the tribulation period, it says the likes of which the world has never seen. That's the tribulation. Horrible pain, suffering, will be poured out on this earth. In fact, Jesus called it the great tribulation. We'll talk about that next week. We're at the beam of Christ where we're receiving rewards. John writes in Revelation 19, 14, says, and the armies of heaven, the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's an interesting, that's an interesting verse. Now, we go to heaven during the, during the rapture. The tribulation happens. After the rapture, there is the second coming when Christ comes and he steps on the earth. John says, in the armies of heaven, that's us, come back with him. Now listen, I don't know whether or not we're going to ride on a literal horse. I mean, we might. I'm okay with that. We might. But whatever, we're coming back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period where he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth, where he will rule and reign in righteousness and in peace. But I want you to notice that in that text, it says that they come back with fine linen, white and clean. Where do those linens come from? Well, you've got to go back to verse number 7. Revelation 19, 7 and 8, actually. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. He goes on. And to her, that's us, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen, here's what I want you to hear, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts, the things that we do right now. That is what we are rewarded on. 
Listen, when we were born again, listen, we took off the old filthy rags of self-righteousness and we were clothed with the righteousness of Christ, okay? That's the only way we can go to heaven, by the way. But this is different. See, I'm in heaven because of the righteousness of Christ. Now I come back with the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen because of my righteous acts here, righteous acts here on earth. Listen, this can only be the commendable works that we perform during our lifetime. Do you know that what you do matters? On a daily basis, what you do matters. What you do for kingdom significant things, it truly matters. You see, this is where the bema is so important. This is where, where it happens. So the judgment seat of Christ takes place in heaven after the rapture and before the return of Christ to establish his kingdom. Second thing, who's going to be there? Who's going to be at the bema? Well, obviously Jesus is there, right? I mean, it's his bema. It's his judgment seat. So, so Jesus is going to be there. He's going to be the president of the games. He's the one who sits in that place of honor. And, and in fact, Jesus said in John 5, verse 22, says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. It is His job. He called me, commissioned me to do for His kingdom. He now judges me at that judgment. All believers will be there. Not only will Jesus be there, but all believers will be there. Again, Paul, writing in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, says, For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're born again, Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will be there, believer, without exception. If you're a believer, you're going to be there. No way of escape. You can't call in sick that day. Because you're going to be there. Now, here's the thing. While it's important to understand all believers will be there, please understand no unbelievers will be there. That This judgment's not for them. There will be another judgment for them called the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But this is not it. This judgment, their judgment, the great white throne judgment, will be for the wicked dead. Their, their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And when they stand before God. In fact, I had a vision of that very thing, and we did a drama. Anybody remember the trial? We did a drama here called The Trial. That was based on a vision I had in 1997. I wrote out the vision that God gave me of people standing at the great white throne judgment. That's where the wicked dead will stand, and because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then the Bible says they are condemned to an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's there. This is not that. This is for the believer. Only those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will be at the Bema. Second, the third thing, let's look at the revelation of, of the Bema. This probably could be the most sobering fact about the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, everything in our lives would be brought to light. I know, I groaned when I read that. I groaned. Everything in our lives will be made light. Everything is going to be brought up. In fact, Paul, when Paul says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the word appear means to be made known or to manifest or to reveal. So at the judgment seat of Christ, everything, every hidden secret, everything in the crevices of our lives will be laid out bare before the Lord. That means, listen, that means that we're going to do more than just kind of show up and be at the Bema. It means that at the Bema, our true character is going to be revealed for what it truly is. How many, how many people get tired of fake people? Isn't that just the most annoying thing? You know, I mean, 
And, and today, the social media platforms that we have in our culture today, it does not help at all. I mean, I've seen people that go on there and build their profiles, and man, you would think that they were Hulk Hogan in the flesh, and you see them, and they're Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> Some of you get that imagery going right there. You understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know? I mean, just fake. Fake people, fake profiles, fake this, fake that. Listen, there's one place that will not be fake. You can fool some of the people some of the time, and I like to say in the 21st century, you can fool most of the people most of the time, but you're not going to be able to fool anybody at the Bema. Not going to be able to fool anybody. You can come in here with your religious garbs on. Listen, I say the, the unfortunate side of where we are in modern-day Christendom is that we go to our closet and we put on our Sunday go to meet and clothes. We put on our Sunday go to meet and personalities. And we want to come in on, to church on Sundays and live like a saint. And then Monday through Saturday, we live like an ain't. Right? Amen. Amen. I, I'm, I'm just being honest. That's, we, we, we clothe ourselves to go make a presentation to someone so that they think that we are, but we're really not. This is the place that all of that's going to, our true character is going to come out for what it really is. Again, this is not some obscure doctrine that's tucked away in one isolated passage. It is an entire New Testament doctrine. In fact, Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, Chapter 3, verse 1, here's what he said. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. In other words, there's work that is good, and there's work that is not good. And he said the fire is what's going to try whether or not it is good or bad. Now, now the things that are deeply hidden in our heart that nobody else knows, guess what? They're going to be laid out at the beam of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. He said, listen, don't judge. Let him do it. Because day, the day's coming when he'll, bear it, he'll lay it all bare, and it will be revealed. See, God is going to, he's going to reveal the counsels of the heart, the secret thoughts, the secret motives, the secret attitudes, and the secret ambitions, the desires that are buried deep within us. It's going to be brought to the light because that's what has to happen. Jesus even said in Luke chapter 18, excuse me, Luke 8, 8 verse 17. I can't even talk this morning. Luke 8, 17, he said, For nothing, listen, this is what Jesus said. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. <sighs> Just the thought of that. Kind of scary, right? Amen. I mean, kind of scary. Listen, how many of us have things we don't want anybody to ever know about? Amen. He said that that day he's going to open it up. It's going to be laid bare. The motives for serving, the motives for us doing what we do, it's all going to be revealed in that day. The secret gossip sessions that we have when someone makes us mad, Oh, you don't think that goes on? Check your pulse. It does. And those secret gossip sessions, the rudeness that you had to a fellow brother or sister in the Lord, I don't want to chase that. The fussing and grumbling because you're not appreciated or things didn't go the way you wanted and you like this and they got that. I told the early service, I always say that I have this thing that when we're up here working, and every once in a while, not often, because we have such a great body here. I love Bethel. I love this church. But every once in a while, there are people come in. And How many of you have ever been cranky before? Okay, just, just being honest. 
And, and there are times when we're up here serving and working and we just kind of, you know, we just, I'm just going to, we, we just whine. We just whine. We just, we just kind of complain. And I have this little thing where I'll say something like, ah, losing some jewels in your crown, are you? Because that, again, that's where it's going to be revealed. The motive, why am I serving? Am I serving for accolades? Am I serving for notoriety? Am I serving for this? Or am I serving for the kingdom? Because that's the thing to do. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody to know my secrets. I'm sure nobody else here does, but that's, that's the bema. That's probably it right there. Every hidden thing. So what about the judgment of the bema? Okay? The judgment of the bema, listen to me, is whether it's good or bad. Now, now the important thing to understand is the word that he uses there for bad is not the typical word that you and I would think. So when I hear the word bad, you know what I think? I think of evil or wicked, right? That's not the word that he uses. In fact, I think this is the only place in Scripture that this word is actually used in this context. When he says, the, when he uses the word whether good or bad, the word bad uh, is, is, really means no profit or no value. In other words, what Paul says is that our work is going to be laid out to see whether it is of eternal value. Does it have kingdom significance? Is it eternally profitable for the kingdom, not us? See, today, we, we, we strive to get the glory when the glory belongs to Him. This is where that comes to light. I, I, I made this statement again, and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, but, but I, I get so turned off with a lot of televangelist type things today when they, uh, when they live in excess. When I see, when I see the, the poverty and the devastation around our nation, around our world, and then I see uh, someone, and, and I'm not calling names and I'm not, don't, don't infer anything, but I'm just saying it bothers me when I see men and, men and women in ministry that want to laud their, their excess. Why do you have to have two planes? Why can't you use... Uh, southwest you know to feel so important that you can't be bothered by commercial it bothers me and again if somebody's watching and you're going to send me an email i'm sorry that's just how i feel here here's what i came to conclusion that is their reward i I don't doubt their salvation that's not what i'm saying but that is their reward they're living their reward right now the bible says lay not up for yourselves treasure where here on earth what do we do with it we send it on ahead. We send it on ahead. Listen, the judgment seat here is whether we've done good or bad, whether we have done things that have eternal significance. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13 says, now if anyone builds on this foundation, and then he gives the building products, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. He said, now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for that day will declare it. So basically what Paul does is said, let me give you an illustration from architecture, from building, construction. You have two products in which you can build your home. The difference is one is valuable and one is worthless, relatively, okay? So... When we get to heaven, we're going to be rewarded based on that which is real, that has real value, eternal value, and spiritual value. That is the basis of our reward. Now, another difference between the two building materials is one is permanent and the other one is temporary. Look at 
If you try to torch gold, silver, and precious stone, guess what? Nothing. Nothing. But if you set a match to wood, hay, and straw, stubble, some translations say stubble, what happens? You got a nice bonfire. Bring out the ballpark franks and the s'mores because it will absolutely destroy those, those things. Gold, silver, precious stones denote work that is done of lasting value. I think about people like the grandmas. Well, I think about the ladies. Well, we got some men uh, that come up to the church uh, several times throughout the weeks and months that come up here to do things that nobody knows about. Ladies that come up here clean and, and, and do things that nobody knows about. Serving widows and th- that nobody knows about. You know what they're doing? They're building with gold, silver, and precious stones. They're not in it for the notoriety. They're not in it for the applause. They're in it because it's the right thing to do. They're serving. Making things, doing things, visiting people, doing all of these things. Remember, Jesus said, when you give a cup of water to the least of these, what do you say you do? You've done it unto me. You've done it unto me. See, it's of lasting value. They endure the human condition, which is self-centeredness. See, part of the problem is we've got so many people today wanting to build with wood, with hay, and with stubble. Those things denote self-centeredness. What's in it for me? Am I going to be, am I, you know, if, if I can't be out front, if I can't sing the solo, if I can't have the main part in the play, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's wood, hay, and stubble right there. Salvation's not in check, but your works will be torched because it's the wrong motive. What are you doing it for? i got to hurry. Number five, let's talk about the outcome. The outcome. Paul says in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15, if anyone's work, so here's what he says. When you stand before the Lord, your work is going to be judged, and it's going to see what it's, a, what it's made of. Is it wood? Excuse me, is it gold, silver, precious stone? Is it wood, hay, or stubble? Then he goes on and says this. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he receives a reward. We like rewards, right? He said he gets a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. Again, this goes back to what I said. This is not a judgment of salvation. This is a judgment of what kind of work we're doing. Every one of us here were born on purpose with purpose. We have a kingdom assignment that was created for us before we were ever born. When I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to be judged. But I'm not running Terry's race. I'm running my race. I'm doing my thing. I stand before the Lord, and I'm going to be judged on what I... Did you fulfill the assignment that I created you for? Again, salvation is not the issue here. Reward or loss is the issue. Salvation is freely given based on the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Rewards are earned by what we do. I read a book years ago, and again, I said it. I don't know that this is even in print anymore, but it's called Training for Reigning. Training for Reigning. And the premise of the book was this, that we have, a, we have a job to do. Listen, that's why the Bible says run to win. That's why the Bible says in, in Galatians chapter 6, be not weary in well-doing. For what? In due season you'll reap if you faint not. All through Scripture, we're, we're, we're encouraged to overcome. We're encouraged to keep going, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to, 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 to keep the faith. All of these things. 
Because he understands it's tough. Listen, rewards are not given by chance. It's not like the lotto. You don't pick five numbers or six numbers or whatever it is. You don't pick that and hope for the right role. They're earned. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. His works. The word reward is a verb, and it means to, it means to pay back or to recompense. When Jesus comes, he's coming back, and, and when we stand before a judgment seat, he's going to judge us and reward us according to what we have done. Have I built with gold and silver and precious stone, or have I been more self-centered and built those things? Listen, we're not here to, here to build our monuments to ourselves. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. It's about him. And you, listen, you want to be involved in a place where it's about him. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. It's not my show. It's not our show. It's about him. It's about him. Listen, a little scary today to think about our secrets coming to light. But to be honest with you, the, the idea of receiving from Jesus eternal rewards. Listen, when he gives us a reward, it's not going to be a, a, a pine wreath or a laurel wreath that's going to turn brown in a few weeks. You know what the Bible says? It's going to be an imperishable crown. Guys, come on back as I wrap this up. Dale Sturgeon, many years ago, back in the late 90s, sang a song. I don't know the name of it. If he's here, I'd ask him this morning, but I don't know the name of the song. But in that song, he, the song pictures a man going to heaven and standing before Jesus, the Ancient of Days, And he talks about all of his trophies and crowns. When he sees Jesus, he takes them off and he lays them at his feet in honor and worship. Our life service is to have those rewards to lay at the feet of the one who willingly left heaven's splendor and clothed himself with dirty flesh, with with the flesh of humanity to go to a cross that he did not deserve. And when we see him, every reward that we've ever been given, we just want to throw at his feet because we deserve nothing. He deserves it all. That's why Paul said, you know what? Run to win. Run to win. Let me ask you this morning, are you running today in such a way to win? If you've ever watched competitive running track events as they run they are dead focused on where they're running if for one nanosecond you distract that runner see the difference between winning and not winning is just like that they're running if you distract them for a moment it's going to cause them to lose pace and someone to pass them by now the fortunate thing is I'm not running against anybody here. My race is my race. Your race is your race. I'm running to win my race. But the same thing applies. If I'm not careful, I can be distracted by this and by this and by this. See, our world is offering today trinkets, trophies for all kinds of things. 
but they don't last. They're perishable. Remember, we're one heartbeat away from a fixed state in eternity. When we draw our last breath, we are settled for this in all of eternity. And I truly believe this. This is, my, this is just me. I believe that there will be some people that will arrive in heaven at the beam of Christ and because they've spent so much of their time and energy here building their monuments that they'll have no rewards to give to the master. That's why I'm saying there are people today that are household names when it comes to Christendom. And not all of them, and I don't mean that. Please don't read between the lines. But there are many of them that have built their empires that are living their rewards. And when they stand before the master at the bema, the judge, they'll not have anything. But I think about the grandmas and the grandpas come up during the week, change lights, filters, scrub toilets, take a meal to a widow, a widower, take their automobile and go pick somebody up to bring them to church, phone somebody they've not seen and said, hey, we've missed you. To me, those will be in the front of the line and the Lord will just say, you know, this is, my arms are full and just lavish with eternal rewards because what you do matters. This body is complete because we all fit in our spot. And we run together. Again, I, I, I don't know, but again, this is me. I think there'll be a lot. I think for a moment, I believe in that moment, there'll be a moment of shame for those who have no rewards. Again, you can say, well, Pastor, I don't agree with that. Well, that's okay. I, again, this has nothing to do with salvation. I, I, just, I look at it like a commencement. You ever gone to a commencement ceremony and you see all of these, all these students? There's a certain number of students, though, that are distinguished. They have different colored doohickeys. I don't know what you call them. Thingamajigs, whatever they are. Stole, shawls, whatever, I don't know. But anyway, they have different colors because they're distinguished. See, everybody else in the class did enough to graduate and get their diploma, but then there was a certain few that distinguished themselves, went above and beyond. And I kind of believe the beam is kind of like that. We're going to be there and we're going to see this thing unfold and there'll be people that will be there and have salvation and they're excited about heaven, but then there will be people that will distinguish themselves because of their faithful service. And I think for a moment we'll be like at the commencement and we'll think, you know what, I could have done better. I could have done better. I could have stepped up in that ministry. I could have served a little better. I, I just, again, I, it has nothing to do with us going to heaven, so if you don't believe that, that's okay, but that's just the way I feel. I feel like for a moment, when it comes time to take the rewards that he's given us and lay them at his feet, if I have nothing, I feel like, you know what, I should have done better. Thank you, Lord, for having mercy on me and grace. As I close, church, listen, what we do in this life has a great bearing on the life in eternity. It has a great bearing. Remember, Jesus said to be faithful in the little things. And what will he do? He'll make us ruler over greater things. So if you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever the Lord calls you to do, do it with honor, do it with integrity, do it with Christ-like character, and he'll reward you one day. If, you're, if you pick up paper in the church, be the best paper pickers ever picked up paper. 
scrubbing toilets, scrub them better than anybody, make them glisten. Whatever he calls you to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Are you running to win? Or have you been distracted by something over here and you've slowed your pace? I want you to stand with me this morning. Next week we'll start unpacking some of the tribulation and what's what the Bible says will be taking place, but how about it this morning? Are you running? You race well. Again, I'm not, we're not competing together. We're not, we're not in this race individually. I'm not competing against Terry or Curly or anybody like that. I'm not trying to beat them. You know who I'm competing with? The man I was yesterday. And tomorrow I'll be competing with the man I am today. I'm trying to run my race and I'm trying to finish my course. And in the process, I want to keep the faith. Are you running your race? Or have you been distracted by peripheral things? I'll be honest with you, excuses are a dime a dozen or cheaper. We, we always want to make excuses why we're not doing what, the, what our kingdom assignment is all about. I, I shared this story and we're going to pray. I shared it in early service, but years ago, probably early 94 maybe, we had a very small church at that time, we had a man here by the name of Jim McCoy. Jim and Eva McCoy. Jim was an older man, not in good health, walked with a cane. And one Sunday I preached a message about similar, similar, not similar to this, but one about our kingdom involvement, what God created us to do and serve. And as I walked out the building that morning after service, he caught me right out here at the double doors. He had tears streaming down his face. He said, Pastor... He said, I used to teach Royal Rangers. I used to be involved in all of these things. And he said, I can't do it anymore. He said, it bothers me. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I, I can't do it. And I, and I looked at him. I said, Brother Jim, listen to me. I said, you were faithful. I said, you served. And I said, but here's the thing. When, as we age, the Bible says outwardly, we are wasting away. Our bodies, listen, there are things that as we get older, we know we can't do like we used to do. I said, you may not be able to teach that boy's class anymore, and you may not be able to do the things that you used to do. And I said, but that doesn't mean that God puts you out in the pasture. I said, you find another way to serve. I think it was J.R. Fields who used to say, Pastor, there's no AARP program with the kingdom of God. A man that lived to be 102, I believe. There's no AARP program. When I first met Brother Fields, 1995, we were building that, the gym over there, the, the, the inside, the original part. 75 years old, I'm watching this man climb up three sections of, of scaffolding to run all the wires in that building. Of course, he had two other sidekicks that were about the same age. <laughs> Brother McCoy and Frank Netherland. I used to go there and watch them just because I got a kick out of them. I thought, man, they're working circles around what I could do. What I'm saying is run your race. As your body wears down, don't go out to pasture. Find something else. Keep running because he'll call us home one day. He'll call us home. Won't you bow with me this morning?
Here in a moment, they're going to be singing a song, and I'm going to open the altars up for two things. Number one, and I'm asking you guys online as well, two things. The first one is this. Are you running well? Or has life brought distractions and you've been sidelined for a season? Listen, I understand sometimes we, we step out for a season, but you don't stay there because you'll never make advancements if you stay on the sidelines. You'll never win your race. You'll never run it. I, I, I just feel very strongly God saying, now get back in the race. You stood on the sideline long enough. You watched the race long enough. You've cheered people on long enough. It's time for you to get in the race and run. Maybe here this morning, and you've been distracted by many things. Life has a way of doing that. Listen, if you, the enemy will make sure you have more stuff to do than you could possibly do because he wants to distract you from your assignment. If you're living with distraction, it's time to pray, God, help me focus. Help me to center on your will and to run my race. Last thing is this. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need somebody to pray with me today. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're battling some things of the past that I've already talked about. Maybe you're just struggling this morning. Maybe you just, you just need somebody to, just to pray with you. As they sing this morning, would you come? Would you come this morning and just, just spend time with Jesus? prayer. Come on this morning. Come on, get back in the race.
this morning. My only answer, I need you, Jesus. Oh, I need you, Jesus. You are the sermon like this, you think, man, how in the world can I live up to such expectations? The answer is you can't. You, you can't do it. But that's why Paul said to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I can't serve with pure motives because I'm not pure. I can't serve, I can't do anything without Him. So my daily task is to rely on the abiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Church, let's change our culture. Change in here, change in here, changes out there. Let God begin, let God continue. We've seen great things for 30 years, you know what? If he tears another 30 years, let's keep going and blowing until he comes. Amen? Father, today we are so grateful. Lord, you are the answer. Our only answer to this impossible task of living Christ-like, godly lives in this crazy, mixed-up, wicked world that we live in. But Lord, through you, through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. We can be more than conquerors. 
and we can live as light and salt in a darkened world. Father, I pray that you take us out of here today determined to keep running our race, not to be weary, not to quit, but to run until you call us home. Lord, take us out of here focused on the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. And Lord, this week, may we run. And as we run our race, put people in our pathway that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I love and I bless each one right now. And I pray your, your blessings and your favor would rest upon them. And all that they do, whatever their hands put to the task, may it prosper and bring glory to you. Lord, I ask you to take us out of here. Give us a great day, I pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.
speaks a better word.